Welcome to the New Hope Sermon of the Week. We hope you are encouraged by this message by Pastor Tom Sturbins. This morning, uh, as we continue this series, Scream, I want to ask you something. Have you ever met anyone that was absolutely convinced of something, but they may not have the substance to prove why they were convinced? You know, if we encounter people like that who are just deeply convinced of things, but there's no substance, there's no evidence to offer it, very, very often your first thought may be, well, they're crazier out there. My, my wife's uh, grandmother, who lived to be 101, and Lord help me, I forgot how many years. It's been four or five years since she passed away. But she, uh, certainly from another generation, precious saint of God, filled with faith and prayer, constant, immovable, always abounding in the faith of God. She was that person. But she had a couple uh, of just little things that we found quite funny when she would say them. She was absolutely convinced of For instance, on the side of the interstate uh, were trash barrels, and you would frequently see a sign, uh, litter barrel, one mile. Well, she was riding on a a longer trip one time, and she she suddenly exclaimed out loud, she says, you know, that's about the 10th time I've seen litter barrel one mile. Are we ever going to get to litter barrel? <laughs> she thought Litter Barrel was a city or a location and didn't understand they were trying to uh, tell. For, for those, until someone explained it, she was absolutely convinced that we should be getting to Litter Barrel is your next turn. But Litter Barrel was always one mile away. You never seemed to be able to get to Litter Barrel. It was always one mile away. Now, we can say a lot of things about that, but for how many of us this morning um, uh, does that represent some of our walk of faith? We want to say to God, Lord, you said this was this close. It seems like we're never going to get there from here. Anybody ever have a litter barrel problem uh, besides that precious, uh, our grandmother we used to call Meemaw, or still do as we refer to her. Uh, It was very, very funny. She was also convinced that she didn't understand why people couldn't learn the English language. And she says, it's absolutely easy for me. I can, I, I, it's thoughtless uh, just to speak it and to share it. And no matter what we do in trying to convince her, the, di- the difficulty of learning a foreign language for her was her point of reference that just said, oh, it's not difficult. I can speak it, and I don't have a bit of a problem with it. And again, there's a notion there for things we become convinced of, and, uh, but we may not have the evidence. Now, immediately when we want to, to, uh, to, to, to launch into that consideration, we become convinced that people are convinced who are convinced that have no evidence for being convinced, they are certainly people who have lost their mind. But what we're going to learn throughout our brief study here this morning is that people who are convinced without tangible evidence to be able to present, the Bible speaks of those as great people of faith. Because we become convinced of things we may have little evidence for. And before we jump right into that this morning, I want to come back because in the middle of this is the issue of uncertainty. In all of the weeks and studies uh, that we will be doing ahead, there's nothing that is more singularly at the root of our scream than uncertainty. One of my favorite uh, secular authors, Brene Brown, and by the way, I couldn't suggest to you enough to buy the book Daring Greatly. It's the only book I've read four times in a row, Daring Greatly. It's a book on dealing with shame, but in that, she addresses more pointedly 
the requisite of the prerequisite for a, a life of being a wholehearted person, of, of being vulnerable and being open. And she says, critical to being vulnerable is the ability, uh, only when we become vulnerable can we embrace uncertainty. We all want absolutes. We want to know that our tomorrow will be okay. We look for evidence that will prove our tomorrows are all okay. That evidence is typically a circumstantial. It involves things like our health. We want to know our health is going to be okay tomorrow. We want to know our finances are going to be tomorrow. We want to know right now our nation's going to be okay tomorrow. But listen, how providential is this series right now that we planned six months ago? Artwork, six months ago. Video bumper, six months ago. The topics and the individuals we wanted to study, we planned that six months ago, but it sort of got moved out of the way, and now here it is in our laps right now. How many of you uh, would say, man, that's just how I felt. Ah, I just want to scream. Go ahead and write that right now just to encourage one another. If you're sort of there, you might encourage a person who's sitting back and saying, man, I don't know that I want to say that out loud. Just go ahead and write there in the chat or the comments. Just, uh, just write, yep, that, that's me. Been there, done that, and that was about three minutes ago. <laughs> maybe it's been a day or a week or a month or maybe several times during this time. But if there's a time in our life, in our lives corporately and collectively as a nation, uh, it seems that so little is certain. Everything is hanging out there in the precipice. Everything seems to be represented in extremes, you know, for everything from government to uh, uh, civil unrest to who's going to be elected as president. If there's this one, if there's that one, then oh my goodness. And it seems like everything that we may want to put our confidence in is sort of being disrupted. You know, we, in that, I want to point out our desire to know. Our desire to know. And did you know, beloved, please hear me, and this should be great hope for believers, and I, I want to unpack this. God never promised us the ability to know. God never promised us the ability to know in terms of um, sort of physical evidence or cognitive, you know, in our mind, the evidence that we can hold. Never promised that. Now I'm going to come to a scripture that says, and we know, that we studied about 12 or 13 weeks ago, and it comes up often uh, in, our, in our study and worship and embracing uh, the, the life of a, a Christ follower. We're going to come back to that. But I, wanna, I want us to go back to an all too familiar passage of scripture in Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Uh, we have advanced here at New Hope that that is the crash and burn for humanity. That almost every problem we have, fear, hiding, deception, those language, that language is used right there in this passage, and it, and it discloses the problem for mankind. But watch the temptation that happens in the opening verses of Genesis chapter 3. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said, the serpent said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, You shall not eat from the tree, from any tree of the garden, the woman said to the serpent, from the fruit of the tree of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree of which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat from it or touch it lest you die. The serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die. Here it comes. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing 
good from evil. For God knows that if this happens, you will know. And for the first time in Scripture, it's set up that we really can't trust God because he doesn't want us to know what we need to know to survive. I've said many, many, many times, and I want to say pointedly, there will come, listen to me, there will come no freedom for you as a believer. Matter of fact, I'm about to say something that's not in my notes that you need to write down. There will come no peace for you as a believer, a follower of Christ. There will come no freedom. There will not come no confidence unless we come to understand that our confidence, our freedom, and our peace is found in not knowing the outcome, but knowing the knower. I've said so many times that that so often where people crash and burn is they worship knowing more than the knower. I want to say that again. Our problem is we worship knowing rather above the knower. Today, the thing is, well, do you know? Are you aware? The latest uh, uh, cultural uh, um, uh, expression or moniker, the latest little phrases, the latest little things, and if you don't keep up, oh my goodness, you are so far behind. You don't know. You don't know. And even in uh, social media exchanges, if you don't know the coolest phrases or hashtags, then you really don't know. And because you don't know, you're not cool. And because you don't know, how can you be confident? It's, it's a domino effect. But hear me. We are not those who worship knowing above the knower. We are those who have a relationship with the knower. And so then, our, our knowing in terms of material, every little thing, is not the primor, primary issue. Our primary issue is, I'm going to say it for the third time, we worship knowing the knower. We don't worship knowing. Again, in our culture, we worship knowing. The latest piece of information, the most current data, hey, did you see the latest newsflash that happened 17 seconds ago? No, I didn't. Oh, how can you be so far behind? Our confidence is found in culture in knowing. Beloved, it's there that we as followers of Christ, by the way, on Saturday or Sunday of last week, I did not expect to be standing here. Brenda and I had taken some vacation time, and uh, then some events turned, uh, happened here in our community, the uptick of the virus, things happening with people coming in here, the concern about uh, people sort of... um, uh, cross-contaminating and what are we going to do, and lots of uh, t- communication of people deeply concerned, and you just had to say, okay, stop, 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 stop. Nothing's changed. There is a virus. There is a sickness going on. But we don't worship knowing every little thing that will happen tomorrow. You want to know why? We don't have to worship knowing when the knower loves us. We don't have to worship knowing. Uh, where, where then will our confidence be found if we don't have the latest information, the latest stats, the latest things? Do we know exactly what's going to happen with this tomorrow? Let me look you right in the face and tell you, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but I've heard sung and said all my life. As a matter of fact, my mother wrote a song. Uh, uh, it, it, it says, uh, Lord help me. Uh, it says, while on my journey down life's road to heaven's gates and blessed abode, through floods and valleys, over mountains we must go. Let me see. Uh, but when the way seems uh, dark and drear, that's just when Jesus is so near. And in a moment, joy and gladness flood my soul. Listen to the course. For he holds the future in his hand. His ways we don't seem to understand. Here, beloved, here's the good deal. We don't know what's in tomorrow, but we know who is already in tomorrow. It's there that we have the exhale. It's there that the people of God should be exhaling peace into moments and sharing 
Not because we know, we don't worship knowing, we worship the knower, and that is where our confidence is found. I want to move to a passage of Scripture that at the outbreak of this virus we shared and, and, and reflected on, and it's in Romans chapter 8. Go ahead and say out loud to yourself, or if you're sitting with someone, turn and say, Romans chapter 8. Write it down, make note of it. Now, as we start around the 18th verse of Romans, it says, For I consider... The sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed in us. My goodness, can we just let that sink in for a minute? When we are those who are awakened by and have been touched by the age to come, because of the spirit of the age to come who lives in us right now, he is in touch with that age to come. And there's something that's calling us forward to that age to come. As that spirit begins to communicate here above the circumstances, we'll say, yeah, right now times are difficult, but there's nothing to be compared with what is out there and what we're headed towards. Praise God. As a matter of fact, you may be sitting right by yourself. It doesn't preclude us from an act of praise. I want you to just join me right now. You can be all by yourself. I do this by myself. I did it late last night. And, and watching and, and listening to a, a, a YouTube, on YouTube a, a song of worship, I just begin to say, thank you, Jesus. All by myself, I begin to lift up holy hands. Say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Just do that right now. Just thank you. Thank you, Lord. All right? In this same passage of Scripture, don't have time for all the Scripture to, to read them all, but listen. For the anxious longing, verse 19, anxious longing. See the uncertainty? Anxious longing of the creation, that is God's created humanity, uh, the, all uh, creation, that's the animals, the trees, creation's groans, and humanity in general for the, for, waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. I have taught on this in depth, don't have time to unpack that, but again, it's referring to the end to, to the day of the Lord and the end when everything is fulfilled and God's order is just set up completely on this planet. It says, for we know the whole creation groans and suffers the pain of childbirth. They're travailing right now. Verse 23, not only this, but we ourselves, not just humanity, not just those who are unsaved, but those of us who are born again, those of us who've experienced Christ, there still is that groaning. Because here's the thing, we have even a more greatly awakened sense of anticipation with what is in the future. All creation knows somehow inside there's something more out there and they don't know what it is. And then that's only amplified, if you will, the day we accept Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit takes up residence in our life. All that does is sort of increase a type of anxious longing because, man, we just can't wait. We can't wait to see our Savior face to face. We can't wait to the end of all things. We, and when we, here come, here's where it says, we will know as we are known. <laughs> Isn't it amazing then? that the knowing then will be saturated, complete, when we see him face to face. Uh, not only this, but we ourselves groan. Verse 24, for in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes in what he already sees? We're filled with hope. But you know what? I said once that the Garden of Eden was a hopeless environment. The Garden of Eden, before the fall, was a hopeless environment. And why was that? Because they didn't have to hope. They walked with God every day in the cool of the day. Sin had not entered. We hope right now because sin is in this world and it separates us from the fullness of God at the end of the age. So we're back to hoping again. But at the end of the age, our hope will be filled up. And as Paul writes here, we won't have any hope. There won't be any need for hope because we'll see him face to face. Somebody write in the, 
uh, in the comments right now. Uh, I'm headed for hopelessness. <laughs> it's an act of praise. I can't wait to be hopeless. Isn't that amazing? I just can't wait to be hopeless. Write that there. Uh, talk about it. All right? And um, let me see. I'm getting so excited. But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance, we wait to eagerly see it. Now watch these words. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness, our weakness. But we do not know, here it is, we do not know even how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes with us with groanings too deep for words. Isn't it amazing that when we don't know how to pray, it says the Holy Spirit jumps in with us with groanings too deep for words. What's the significant difference? Because the difference between our groaning and his groaning is that the Holy Spirit unlike us, is not powerless, prohibited, or limited regarding future outcomes. This is the spirit of the age to come. This is the spirit of God living in my tomorrow. And he says, let me jump in because you don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. You don't know what tomorrow holds. But I can tell you, I'm in your tomorrow and I know what it holds. So let me help you out in this prayer. How many are thankful for that as we stand in these moments of uncertainty, not knowing what's next? We're looking. We're looking for the possibility of, uh, of somehow holding on to our faith. This first half of the chapter, all it says is, well, here's the problems, here are the problems. And by the way, it's going to get worse in this chapter before we get to the end. But let's see where he goes. Verse 27, it says, And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. I love that. And then here comes the verse. Circle it in your Bibles. Highlight it in your Bible apps. Write it down. And we know. Wait a minute. It just said we can't know. And we know. And we know. By the way, just for the fun of it, make a personal note. Oh, goodness, to read Philippians uh, chapter 1. This is the same guy, the Apostle Paul writing. And read verse 6 where he says, I'm confident, I'm convinced, same word, of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will finish it until that day. And then in verse 29, I think it says, uh, Paul is then entered into dialogue and he makes this statement. I, I don't know what I should do right now in this moment. I don't know. Now, you can just go there and read it. The same guy who just writes here, and we know, he had his own I don't know moments, his own points of uncertainty that he wrestled with. But in Romans, he writes, there is a knowing that is beyond our circumstances and beyond the evidence. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good for those who love God, for those who are called according to his purpose. Now continue reading. What then shall we say to these things? Okay, what? What shall we say to these uncertainties? You'll see that list coming up. Says this, in the face of my uncertainties, if God is for us, who is against us? I love it. If God is for us. By the way, could I suggest to you, and everyone listen, I've never said this to you before, New Hope, as many times as we've looked at Genesis 3 and even at Romans 8, I want you to hear this. Did, what if Adam and Eve would have said that? What if Adam and Eve would have looked the adversary in the face and said, if God's for us, I know he's not against God is for me. He's not possibly against me. Now, you say, could they have done that? I think so, because they walked with the Spirit. I believe the Spirit penetrated them and saturated them on a day-to-day -day basis. We've studied that in the past. I believe they may have been able to. But when the question of 
You don't know what tomorrow brings. No, I don't. And you don't know this. No, I don't. But I know God. I know God. Let me tell you the one thing that we do have right now that Adam and Eve didn't have. We have the witness of the cross of Jesus Christ. If there's any question about God's intentions or God's motives, they were forever put to bed and resolved with a, with a cosmic gavel strike of justice when, that, when you hear that hammer being driven in to the nails on his arm and his hands and in his feet. I want you to, to hear echoing across and through the corridors of time and space, not just a hammer but a gavel striking. Every time it hit that nail, there was a gavel strike said, it's finished. There's a gavel strike saying, there's nothing but promise ahead. There was a gavel strike that said, I'm going to give you the most living and forever symbol of my attitude towards you because I love you. I died for you so that you didn't have to die under the curse of sin. Beloved, that's what we have. We have the confidence to be able to step up and say, we have the witness of Jesus Christ. Woo! We have the witness of Jesus Christ and his death on the cross forever different. Well, why does that make any difference? In the verses that would follow, Paul would outline two separate lists of things that could mess up our certainty and our knowing. He says this, he says, who will separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus? Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword. Can I add something else? Civil unrest, a virus, a pandemic, economic uncertainty. He could go on and on and on with that list, but he goes on. He says, but in these things, we overwhelmingly more than conquer. He says, furthermore, I want you to know that not only the things that you see can't separate you from the love of God, but the things you can't see. Verse 38, it says, neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor power, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing, here it comes, will be able to separate you from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. I've taught on these passages at great extent, but what I have not taught on is the first four words of verse 38. If you could put those back up, are they there? You see them? I want you to say those first four words with me. Right out loud. I want you to get ready to do it. I don't care who you're sitting with, sitting by yourself. I'm asking you to speak these. Here they come. For I am convinced. I am convinced. I want to ask the question I started with. Is it possible to be convinced of something and yet not know? Oh my goodness. And the answer resoundingly is yes. Because there are things we do know. He says, we know that he loved us overwhelmingly. The statement on the cross is final. We know that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. For I am convinced. He, he adds that in the second list because he said, I want to tell you these visible things, not a virus, not economic up, uh, uncertainty, not civil unrest can step, separate us from the love of Christ, but not even the finest efforts of demon forces and invisible spiritual realities can separate us from the love of Christ. For I am convinced. That word convinced means to persuade, trust, have confidence. That's what it means. And then in one place it's translated to obey. You know, there's a funny thing about people who are convinced of stuff. You never could convince my grandmother that Litter Barrel wasn't one mile away. <laughs> you never could convince her that English was a difficult language to learn. You could never convince her of that. You can never convince her of that. 
Because for her, it was what it was. Beloved, I want to tell you this morning, as a matter of fact, can I, just, can I just say to you and pray with you, Father, may that level of confidence and being convinced rise in the face of the uncertainty of what we don't know substantially or evidentially. May we rise and say, Lord, but I know God causes all things to work together for my good. Whatever the world may bring, a pandemic may bring, economic upheaval, civil unrest may bring, or the uncertainty. See, see for some of you sitting here this morning, you say, Pastor, that's not my biggest deal. I, I'm uncertain about my job tomorrow. I'm uncertain about my marriage tomorrow. I'm uncertain uh, about so many things. I, I'm uncertain about my health, and it's just grabbed my soul. And I would pray this, Father, in the name of Jesus. May the absence of knowing in fact and circumstance rise up. Uh, 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 the absence of knowing, Father, not rise up. May what rise up in us is the knowing that we have by the Spirit of God, that there is a Spirit at work when we don't know how to pray who joins us. And we walk away like Paul saying, I may not know, but I'm convinced. <laughs> Try that out this week. There's your T-shirt phrase. I may not know, but I'm convinced. And put two exclamation marks. Matter of fact, if that's your prayer, if that's your praise right now, I want every one of you watching online, I'm going to ask you. If you were here, I would ask you to just raise your hand or stand up or do something in a concert of agreement. I want everyone watching to write right now in, in your own comments, I may not know, but I am convinced. I may not know, but I am convinced. I'd like to, to sort of wrap things up this morning. Um, and I don't know that I'll get through it because I was worshiping by myself here. All right, Dan, you still have me out there? Okay. I was worshiping by myself with some older songs. I love the newer songs, but I've told you before that when the Bible says they sang a new song in that scripture in Revelation, it's not speaking so much of a song that had never been sung but of a song made new again. The Greek word there means to make fresh and make new. How many here have lived long enough in faith or how many watching have, have lived long enough in faith that those old songs suddenly became new and fresh the moment that you began to, the moment you began to sing. It became a new song. You know, also in that passage of Revelation, please listen to me right now. In that passage of Revelation, that new song started when the lamb made entry. Woo! I really don't believe that those songs happen on our own. I want to say that to you again. I believe that <clears throat> I believe that those old songs become new songs only when there's a sense that the Savior is coming to the room. In that Revelation 5 narrative, please hear me. I had not planned to say this. But John was weeping and he said, there's no one worthy to open the book and open the promises that may otherwise be ours. And it said, one of the elders said, hey, what's wrong with you? Look, there's a lamb. And he looked and he saw that the lamb had entered the room, if you will, and he'd stepped in between hmm, the elders, the seraphim and the very throne of God. And at that moment, when the lamb had entered the equation and entered the room, it said they began to sing a new song. Worthy is the Lamb because he has redeemed every man from every tribe and tongue and nation. Hallelujah. With his blood. 
I pray that the Lamb would enter your room right now. And that some song, the song of the Lord, would suddenly become a new song. The one I was singing, it says, I know the plans I have for you. I know just what you're going through. When you can't see one tomorrow holds and yesterday is through. Remember I know the plans I have. Listen. When you can't see one tomorrow holds. And yesterday is through. Remember, I know the plans I have for you. There's another song I was just singing around. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Mm. Just to take him his word Oh, just to rest Upon his promise Just to know Thus saith the Lord Jesus, how I trust Him, how I proved Him all and all. Jesus, Jesus. Precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust Him. You know, there's one other song I sang that the staff are sitting here across the room. Tan, I don't know that I've sung this song in 20 years. And all of a sudden, I had no idea I was going to mention Revelation 5. And what happens when our new song, when Jesus is in the room? <laughs> Boy, I love it. Woo, I got to write a song about that. Mm-mm-mm. But this morning before worship service, all of a sudden this song, and again, I had no idea we'd land in this, can we be convinced when we're not able to know? And the answer is yes, yes, yes. I had no idea that we were going to land on Revelation 5. But this old song says, matter of fact, I think it's an Andre Crouch song. It says, I feel Jesus. I feel Jesus. 
feel Jesus in this woo, in this place. Now my soul does burn within me. Woo. I feel Jesus. I feel Jesus in this place Father I love you and I praise you and I worship you for every person that may be sitting and saying I don't know what tomorrow brings there's things going on in my life circumstances this just crazy environment that our nation and our world is in right now in the face of not knowing May you just assault them with confidence, with yet being convinced even when we don't know. I can be convinced even when I don't know. Fill the room where they are right now. May they, as this old song says, may they feel that the Savior mm, has made entry right where they are. And suddenly, whatever song they may choose to put on their lips, whatever expression of praise, Lord, a song that they've known maybe a long time, maybe not a long time, but may it suddenly become a new song, filled with the life and the wonder, filled with the presence of an almighty God. I love you and I praise you. I thank you for your presence. I thank you, Lord, that you abound in our praise. I pray for peace, a baptism of peace that will be found as we declare, I don't need to know. I know the knower, so I don't need to know that. I know him. We are those who worship the knower. We don't worship knowledge. The world, Father, may in fact look at us a little bit differently because we're another one of those crazy people who are convinced of something that we have very little evidence (laughs) for because our faith, our life is of another world, another dimension. I love you and praise you. I thank you for our church family. I thank you for every person that is watching. I love you. I bless your name. I I, I just honor you, Father. We do not take for granted your presence. I ask all of this in Jesus' name. So be it. Amen. Thank you for joining us for the New Hope Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast or other resources, visit newhopeonline.com.